we are all known for something, right? Yesterday I was in LJ, Georgia at a middle school wrestling tournament. And there was a kid walking around and he was known as, I guess, one of the best middle school wrestlers around. I mean, he had on the shirt that said champion on the back in the mullet. But the mullet can be confusing. I'm digressing here. The mullet should signify being known as a good wrestler, I think. But I think you should also have to cut it if you're not very good. But that's a whole other subject. But we're all known for something, aren't we? I mean, if you think even within our body, as I would mention names, and I know she's watching, a name like Diane Cross. We know her for how sweet and kind she is and how she gathers meals and coordinates that for people and is also known for her cake, particularly her carrot cake. Or if I were to say a, a name like the Huddlestons, certain things come to your mind. Hospitality, kindness, service. I think to the guys in my small group uh, as we've been meeting in our homes and I just think about the way that they go about doing their job and in such a way that it just that they become known in their workplaces for being men of compassion we're all known for something I think about myself and how I'm known and you know probably I'm most well known as Casey's husband or the kids dad I've also coached a lot of sports, and so I might be known as a coach. I'm, I work out at a, a CrossFit gym up here, I run with some guys. And one of the things that's interesting is that when these folks learn that I'm a pastor, all of a sudden their demeanor changes a little bit. I learn a lot about their church attendance and their church background and where they've come from. The language gets a little uh, bit better. You see, in that moment, when they find out I'm a pastor, they want all of a sudden for me to know them in a certain way that's probably different than the way I had known them before, believe it or not. We're all navigating our way through this world. And there are people around us. There are people in our path. There are people on our journey that form opinions about us, about who we are, about what they think of us. And this was certainly going on in Jesus' day. It's always gone on. And as Jesus is on a journey and is on a path, there were many people who were forming opinions. There were many people who thought they knew him. It's interesting here, as we, as we look in the book of Mark, as we jump back into this study, we see that not only was Jesus on this metaphorical journey, but he was physically, historically, walking towards the cross. This section of the book of Mark, if you've been with us, we have said that this section, this like Acts 2, was all about Jesus kind of leaving uh, the, the Galilean area, this ministry that he was doing, and he's, he's headed toward the cross. 
And three times in this section, from about chapter 8 until now, three times Jesus has explicitly said, I'm going to Jerusalem. They're going to kill me and I'm going to rise again from the grave. He was literally on this journey, literally walking this path. And can you imagine knowing what was in front of you, walking on this journey a couple of weeks ago as we looked and we saw that Jesus was ahead and uh, that he was, you know, that I, 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 I said that I, I really believe that, that the disciples, as they picked up the seriousness of the situation, that one of the things that was going on in their minds is that they saw, they could tell by Jesus' demeanor that there was something heavy and serious that was getting ready to take place. And I don't know about you, but for me, heading into something like that, I I would want to get there and kind of get it over with. But we find that Jesus keeps either being erupted, interrupted, or stopping and doing things along this journey and along this path. And several weeks ago, we, we saw this in verse 17 of chapter 10 of the book of Mark. As he was setting out on a journey... A man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? This was the rich young ruler. That Jesus was interrupted on this journey. That somebody came up to him as he was on this road, on this path. And we know the story. If you were here, you heard it preached. That he wanted to know what it took to have eternal life. And Jesus basically said, Deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. And the man went away sad. Later, as Gary preached last week, we have Jesus on this same journey in verse 32. Notice they were on the road going up to Jerusalem and Jesus was walking on ahead of them and they were amazed and those who followed him were fearful and he again took the twelve aside and began to tell them what was going to happen to him. That Jesus on this journey, on this path, of going to the cross where he would be crucified and killed, stopped, took these disciples aside and began to teach and to comfort and to proclaim to them. And today, today we have another interaction. Today we have another interaction as Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He's very close. If we look again at verse 46, as David read, it said, and then they came to Jericho. Now, those of you who have grown up in church, who have been around church, what do you remember about Jericho? The walls of Jericho came tumbling down, right? In the Old Testament. Well, Jericho, by this time, was this just beautiful city. Jericho could have been on the way it was for Jesus. Uh, A lot of people would enter Jerusalem from another way. But Jericho was this beautiful city. It was known because of of all the water that it had. In fact, there, there was water, it's thought that there was water even piped in and there were springs. And so Jericho was a beautiful place, full of gardens. Um, in fact, Jericho was such a beautiful place that we know throughout history, different uh, kings and rulers would give Jericho to their wives or to people as just this prized possession, a beautiful, wonderful, great place. And if you were to look at a map, Jericho was about 800 feet below sea level, and Jerusalem was about 2,500 feet above sea level, 
And the difference between the two cities was about 18 miles. As one of your Sunday school teachers, John, would have told you a couple of years ago when y'all were in Mark, is that it was about the distance from Hamilton Place Mall to Signal Mountain. And in this day and age, it would have been like the final stop on the way up to Jerusalem. And this is where Jesus is. And believe it or not, that would have been maybe a one-day journey for somebody. You read that and you're like, huh, I'm not walking 18 miles in one day. (laughs) But back then, that was the mode of transportation were your two legs. And you did things like that. And so here you have Jesus in this city, in this beautiful city, getting ready to go up into Jerusalem. What a perfect place to stop. What a perfect place kind of to hang out before that final that final ascent to Jerusalem. And in Mark, we have, if we, if we look ahead a little bit, we see that Jesus on this journey, that Jericho, let's say it's the last stop, and then the next thing that we have happen in the book of Mark is Jesus goes up, he enters into Jerusalem, and what happens? A triumphant entry. With people gathered around and singing, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. The King has come. And notice there's a crowd with him in verse 46. This doesn't surprise us. It says that he was leaving Jericho, so he's on his way out with his disciples and a large crowd. And this large crowd was there probably for a multitude of reasons. Some of them had been following Jesus on this journey. But the other thing that was going on is it was Passover. It was getting ready to be Passover. And so people were coming from everywhere and going into Jerusalem. And so maybe in this crowd was a mixed group of people. Maybe some were disciples, some were followers, some were just there. Certainly we know that Jesus had created a buzz, hadn't He? And I think it was known that Jesus was going to Jerusalem because you had people waiting and wanting to see what's going to happen. Jesus was known. His presence was creating a buzz. Who is this man? And we know that you had on the spectrum of asking who is this man, you had everybody, you know, from like the disciples who were following him, who had given up all that they had to follow him, to you have, once he gets to Jerusalem, the scribes and the Pharisees, which we're going to see for several weeks or, or after him, and ultimately... Ultimately, they're plotting his death. He's going to the cross. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Leaving this city, Jericho, heading up to this moment, entering this city, where you know as the Savior of the world what's getting ready to unfold. The joy, the pain. So the question I would have for you, it's not a question, it's a statement. It blows my mind that he would stop. Doesn't it blow your mind that he would stop? I mean, he's on his way, he's heading out of this city, the kind of final resting place, and he's Heading out of the city, verse 46 tells us, and a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, was sitting by the road. And he stopped. This is just like our Savior. 
stopping for this blind man sitting by the road. I think Bartimaeus was a smart man. If you were going to be a blind beggar, if you were a blind beggar, not going to be, if you were a blind beggar, I don't think there's a better place for you to be maybe than Jericho, beautiful city, probably a wealthy city, probably a great place to be sitting right outside of town where people were journeying through and going up to Jerusalem. At this Passover time, it would be a great place for you to stop. There were probably a lot of people that were in an especially giving mood. Do you notice that this time of year we probably see more beggars hanging out by the interstates? Because this is a time of year where we are extra full of cheer and the ability to give a few dollars to someone that's in need on the side of the road. This was the case, I think, for Bartimaeus. And we know if you've been with us and if you've been studying with us through the book of Mark, we know that when society looks at someone who is in his state as a beggar, as a blind man, we know what social status that he has. He's the least of the least. He's not looked at as somebody that's worthwhile. In fact, in fact, the fact that he was blind in this day and age meant that many people felt like he was cursed. You remember the story where Jesus encounters a man that was blind from birth, and they said, who sinned, his mother or his father? In fact, when Jesus says that the Pharisees are blind, that is actually an insult and is a very degrading comment towards them. This man was not, was not in a good position. And we see it in this text as Bartimaeus is crying out to God. Look at verse 48 with me. Many were sternly telling him to be quiet. Sternly telling him to be quiet. Trying to get him just to settle down. There are more important things to do. Jesus is on this journey. You blind Bartimaeus, just settle down and be quiet. Doesn't this remind you of when they were bringing the children to Jesus and the disciples were pushing them away saying, no, 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 wait a minute. Don't bring these kids to Jesus. He's got more important things to do. And isn't it just like our Savior to say, no, 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 wait a minute. Bring them to me. This is who I came to redeem. I'm here for the least of these. And just like our Savior, Jesus stops and talks to this man. It's amazing to me. It's amazing to me that Jesus does this. But it shouldn't be amazing. This is just like our Savior, isn't it? This whole section of Jesus on His way to Jerusalem, do you remember the first account that we have when I said that, hey, here's the transition in this Gospel, that Act 2 is starting here of Jesus moving towards Jerusalem? Do you remember who Jesus encounters? A blind man. And at that place, we had this two-stage healing that Jesus healed him, but then he wasn't quite healed, and so that he finished the healing, and we were like, well, that's weird. And we asked the question, might it be that in this moment, that this, there's nothing deficient about Jesus' power, there's nothing magical in the words that he's using, so he, maybe he forgot to use the right words the first time he used it, but 
what we said was is that in this moment that Jesus was teaching his disciples something. That maybe, just maybe, as Jesus healed that blind man, that what he was using as a metaphor here for his disciples and what Mark was explaining to us was that the disciples were seeing, but they weren't seeing clearly enough. And one day they would see more clearly. And could it be that just maybe, maybe, as we encounter this blind man, Bartimaeus, that there's something that we need to learn from him. I think there's a lot we need to learn from Bartimaeus. Not about Bartimaeus and his strength, but about the man that Bartimaeus is encountering and the faith that he has. Look at verse 47 and 48. When he heard that it was Jesus, the Nazarene, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And they were sternly telling him to be quiet, but he kept crying out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Do you notice the phrase that is repeated? When this blind man comes in contact with the sovereign king of the universe, he has the exact right phrase come off of his lips. Have mercy on me. He gets it. When we come in contact with the sovereign king of the universe... The proper phrase that should roll off of our lips when we are in the midst of the greatness of Christ is have mercy on me. Notice. It wasn't as he came in contact with this man that he had heard about. Notice it wasn't, hey, can you give me some money? Or food. He begged for mercy. Notice he didn't stand up and shake his fist and say, why, did you, why have you treated me this way? Do you know what a hard life I have had? No. When he comes in contact with Jesus, we don't see pride. We don't see haughtiness. We see Him declaring that He knows what his need is, and that is he needs mercy. When John the Baptist was in the wilderness, and when he sees Jesus coming, remember what John says. John says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And as this beggar is here, he sees the Lamb of God, and he sees without physical eyes. He knows this is the Lamb of God who can take away, who can solve his Biggest problem, which is not his eyesight, but his he needs mercy. And all of us are in this same condition in need for mercy. The only thing we bring to God is our need for mercy. And we need to learn this from Bartimaeus, that Bartimaeus gets it right and he pleads for mercy from Jesus. And it's crazy that this blind man sees it more clearly than even the disciples at times, and that those that are around him. And what I want to be careful of is this. Sometimes I think in Christian circles, when we talk about realizing our need for mercy, or when we talk about 
um, who God is and who we are in comparison of that, that we view it in kind of this really weird, downtrodden, ho-hum, like, I need mercy. We're kind of beating ourselves up type mentality. You know what I mean? And that's not what's going on here, is it? It's not what's going on. I do think there's desperation. In verse 48, it says that he kept calling. There was a persistence here. But then notice in verse 49 and 50. Jesus stopped and said, call him here. So they called the blind man to him saying, take courage, stand up. He's calling you. And it says that Bartimaeus slowly got up, walked over. Woe is me, Jesus. Is that what happened? (laughs) He jumps up. He leaves his cloak. I think he ran to the arms of Jesus. What Bartimaeus knew in this moment was this is not just someone who was loving or who was merciful, but that in this moment as he was coming in contact with the sovereign king of the universe, he was coming in contact with love itself. With mercy itself. And so as he came with his need for mercy. He knew he was coming to the source that just overflows. Overflows. Now. What's interesting. And don't miss this. um, In verse 46. Did you notice that we're given this guy's name? Mark doesn't do this very often. In fact, this is the only time where a miracle has occurred and we're given a guy's name. And so you have to ask yourself, well, why are we given his name? And it's interesting, you may say, huh. We're given his name. He was a beggar called Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus. And do you know what Bartimaeus means? Son of Timaeus. I don't think there's any magic on giving his name or looking too deeply into what his name means. But here's what I think is going on. And this is a little bit of conjecture. I think the reason we're given his name is not so that years later we could say, oh yeah, remember old blind Bartimaeus. God healed him. I think the reason that we're given his name is that because as Mark was writing this gospel and when people were receiving this gospel... They knew who Bartimaeus was. I think what's going on here is that Bartimaeus, maybe he became an elder. Maybe he became a deacon. Maybe he became a man of great faith who was known in the early church so that when somebody received this word, what they heard was, oh, Bartimaeus, I know him. What an amazing testimony. He wasn't known for who he had been. That Jesus had given this man a new life. Jesus gives us a new life. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, we're told that all who are in Christ are what? New creation. How crazy would it have been, picture this, if Jesus, this account takes place, Jesus heals blind Bartimaeus. 
And he says, thank you, sir. Sits right back down, starts begging and asking for money. It's not what he does, is it? Look at verse 51 and 52 again. And answering him, Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabboni, I want, you to, I want to regain my sight. And Jesus said to him, go, your faith has made you well. Now let's stop here for a second. Jesus gives this man back his sight and he gives him this freedom. He says, go. What would you have done? Maybe if you had been sitting there in Jericho and you had heard about these magnificent gardens, you had heard about what a great city that Jericho was, how beautiful it was to look at, maybe you would have gone and gone back in the city and been like, oh man, this is awesome. Maybe you would have wanted to go see the ocean. Maybe you wanted to go and see your mother and father and look them in the face. I remember when my brother, my parents did not know that my brother couldn't see very well. And I remember being in the car when he got his first pair of glasses. And many of you have probably gone through this yourselves or had children who have gone through this. And it was just like the whole world had opened up. Like he was like looking at everything. Like, whoa, I didn't know that was there. So what would you have done? He's free. Immediately, he regained his sight and he began to follow him on the road. The road to the cross. A road that was going to be hard. He began to follow him On this road. What's holding you back? Hasn't that been one of the questions that we've been asking as we've been in our series on the book of Mark? What's holding you back? And in many ways, I think that this story, this account of Bartimaeus, that one of the things that Mark is wanting us to do is is to look back at the rich young ruler and compare Bartimaeus's story to the account of the rich young ruler and for us to see the difference in the two. Bartimaeus asks for mercy. The rich young ruler asks for what? Eternal life. There's a difference. There's a difference. Bartimaeus, when he comes in contact with Jesus, sees Jesus clearly for who he is. And as his sight is regained, he is loosed from the chains that bound him. And he immediately, with joy, follows Jesus. Because where else would he go? The rich young ruler, when asked to go and sell everything that he has, when he is asked to cut the chains that bind him to following Jesus, says no. And he goes away sad. I don't think that's the only comparison we're supposed to make. 
Jesus had just had this interaction with his own disciples. Again, where his own disciples were coming to him, James and John. And what were they asking for? Power, prestige. We want to sit on your right and on your left. And what is interesting, what's interesting is there's the same wording in this account. Mark uses the same wording in verse 36. And Jesus said to them, what do you want me to do for you? This is the same wording as in verse 51. And Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? Might one of the things that our Savior is asking of us this morning, what do you want me to do for you? And the disciples not yet getting it are asking for power and prestige and things of this world. And this blind beggar teaches us a lot, doesn't he? Isn't it crazy as we read this? Isn't it crazy that we see how clearly, how clearly this blind man sees Jesus? Notice, notice again in verse 47. When he heard that it was Jesus the Nazarene. I, I think that's important. There's all sorts of titles for Jesus here. And I, I think this title Jesus the Nazarene is important because he was blind. He wouldn't have known Jesus. There wasn't TV, kids, so you wouldn't have known Jesus anyway if you could see. But Jesus the Nazarene, not Jesus from Hickson or Jesus from Signal Mountain. No, this is the one you've heard about. This is the Jesus from Nazareth. And when he heard that it was this Jesus, that it was the Jesus from Nazareth, notice what he says two times, Mark gives us. And it could have been many more. When he heard that it was Jesus the Nazarene, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many were sternly telling him to be quiet, but he kept crying out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. This is a very, very interesting title. Now, if we were to, to do kind of an Old Testament survey, which we're not going to do this morning, but if we were to do that, we would see that title in the Old Testament, Son of David, pop up all the time. And this title, the Son of David, uh, was meant to denote, like we sang this morning, Israel's hope. Israel's hope, the son of David. And if you would have asked, okay, I want you to pay attention. This is really, really difficult question that I'm going to answer for you. If you would have asked a first century Jew, hey, when you think of the title son of David, what do you think about? You know what they would have said they thought about? David. Really hard, right? This idea of the kingship of David and that his offspring, this, this warrior, this man after God's own heart, that his offspring would come in and reestablish this kingdom that had once been. And would set everything right. This was the title that this blind beggar used to describe Jesus. And it is utterly amazing and miraculous that he would do that. Utterly amazing and miraculous. Nowhere else in the book of Mark, outside of Peter's confession, up to this point, we're going to have some other ones later, Peter says, thou art the Christ, right? We have Peter's confession. The only other place that we get people or 
entities coming close to truly being able to say who this Jesus is, it's coming off the lips of demons. Until we get here. Until we get here. And might this be, might this be the pronouncement as Jesus is going into Jerusalem to have a triumph over sin and death that this blind beggar is the one that makes the proclamation Jesus, Son of David. And this theme, this theme begins to run through because as soon as Jesus gets to Jerusalem, what happens? Triumphant entry. The lowest outcast, the one who is cursed, is the one who is proclaiming he is here. This is amazing. But it also shows you why Bartimaeus would follow him. Because if Bartimaeus knew this about Jesus, where else would he go? And my question for you, what do you think about Jesus? Over and over you have heard me ask this question because over and over in this gospel we are asked to do this. We are asked to consider who is this man and it doesn't stop there because whatever you think about this man Jesus then you're asked to give an account for it. Who is this man? Why does it matter? Who is this man? How are you going to live? And we see that there are many, many that Jesus has come in contact with on this road. And some of you this morning may be like the rich young ruler and you've come in contact with Jesus, but you're saying, no, no, not me. I'm not following. He's not that good. What's interesting about that rich young ruler when we compare him to the poor blind beggar on the side of the road is that that rich young ruler had it all together. He had money. He had power. He had prestige. He was even a good man. He had been following all these commandments. He was a good church boy. But his view of Jesus wasn't right. I find a lot of comfort in, and we've talked about this, but... The disciples were there following Jesus. And they weren't getting it all right either, were they? But they were trying. They were trying. So they were there. They were bumbling. They were mistake prone, but they were following. And then we have this Bartimaeus, the least of these. And the question we have to ask, are you willing to walk this road? One of the things that I find fascinating when we get to the book of Acts, Christians weren't always called Christians. In fact, the term Christian was actually a derogatory term that meant little Christ. And they, you know, the, the people who first began to use that, used that as a derogatory term. Do you remember what Christians were first called? People of the what? People of the way. People on the road. 
Paul talks about in the books of Acts of, of persecuting the way. And he says that I persecuted the religious sect of the way. And the outsiders, how do you think the outsiders viewed in the first century the people of the way? They viewed them as being really odd and weird. Some of that was because they talked about eating flesh and drinking blood, and that's weird. But the other thing that they would talk about was, man, these people are willing to give up a lot for this religion that they're following. Not only that, but they seem to be charitable and joyous, and they're always singing and happy. They're willing to go through great trials to follow this path, this way. On the inside, how do you think they're known? I think you have guys like Bartimaeus. I think you also have folks on the inside like Mary, who had a testimony, who had a past. What about Zacchaeus, this old tax collector? But on the inside, on the inside, I think these men and women were known as people, people who loved the Lord and loved one another and were willing to sacrifice and were willing to walk this road because their Savior had walked this road and He was calling them to walk this road. And it's this road in which true life really exists. People who are no longer defined by their past but they're defined by their path. What about you? What about you? Some of us this morning are on a path, but that path is the rat race. The path that we're following is the pull of the world to become like the world, to have the goals and aims and achievements of the world, and that leaves us empty. Some of you this morning, maybe for the first time, have heard the call of Christ in your life, and Christ is bidding you, come, deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. Start this journey. It doesn't matter where you are, where you've been, follow me. But probably most of us this morning view this and hear this and are in need of a little bit of a tune-up and just need to be reminded of who we are. You're a follower of Christ. You're on the road. This road will have hardships. It will have difficulties. But it's the road that our Savior has laid out for us to walk. How will you be known? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's only the gospel. Our actions, our good works, our best attempts mean nothing. But thanks be to you that you sent your son to die on the cross so that those who put their hope and trust in him 
are reconciled to you or put into your family and are set out on a path and on a journey. So it means there are people like me, like Bartimaeus, like Zacchaeus, that are on this road. God, help us to be a people of the way. Who not only believe what your son taught, but walk like he walked. Full of mercy, full of love, and full of truth. Help this to be how people describe us. It's only possible. It's only possible through the work of your son. In whose name we pray. Amen.